Good evening, everyone. Let's get started. October, spooky October edition. Good evening, Jen. Good evening, Norman. Good evening to everybody else, because this is the last time you're going to have to endure this particular theme for a while. So. Is it really? Oh, shit, you're right. Next Wednesday yeah. is already November. It's, yeah, it's the 26th. I'm going to make sure to put some, uh, put some spooky music in the... Uh, this week's ambitious crossover attempt, which is technically coming out on Halloween itself, so say this, this is this is y'all's fault. You encouraged him. <laughs> you encouraged him with his voices, and now we all have. It's thematic. It's thematic. <laughs> I love uh, I love voices. I love voices. They uh yeah. Anyway, I'm not gonna lie. It's cute. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. I just it like is, know shit. <laughs> it is fun. It is fun. And and the fact that I make uh, certain people in my uh, in my life cringe and uh, step away awkwardly for me is well worth it. It's well worth the content. <laughs> it's well worth the, the the pain that I suffer in my personal life. That uh, over this is uh, the things I do for you. Look, look at me bleed for you. Such an odd place to start this, given. Well, I, I guess, I guess we can start with discussing Barbarian because you finally, finally saw it after. We won't talk about. Why. Yeah. Wait. Do you want to really start? Do you want to start with Barbarian, or do we want to start with uh, with Hot? Do, you know what? Fuck it. We'll start with Barbarian. It's fine. We can start with whatever you want. No, we can start with Barbarian. Okay. Um, and uh, I will say. So here's my impression. My, 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 my takeaway from Barbarian is that I was extremely not... Yeah, oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, do you want to do the thing that I did last time? <laughs> Remember that? Where I was like, oh, hold on, let me, let me fade this out real quick. <laughs> me and my awful fade-out skills... Um, yeah, my t- my first uh, take away from it was that I um, uh, I was really not expecting what it, it turned out to be. It was way less. Uh, it was way less, way less focused than I thought. But in but like in the best of ways. Like, has anybody seen? I'm gonna we're gonna mention a few movies here, which is good because that's all about what, what what this is all about. I'm gonna mention a few movies. This, this reminded me of. Uh, the first one I'm going to mention is The Empty Man, a movie with one of the dumbest titles ever because it hides behind it a really interesting, weird, original movie. And uh, if you start watching that movie, about I, – I would say you get maybe 20 or 25 or 30 minutes into it and you're thinking like, okay, I got this movie pegged. I know what this is. But, like, it's two and a half hours long and then very shortly after that you're like, okay, now I'm in total deep – like I'm, I'm, I totally have lost sight of land. I don't know where I am or where this is going, and it goes extremely weird places. And yeah, it's like, it's kind of a mess, but it's it's well made. And also, yeah, it's like it's nothing like you've ever seen before, and you will not have any idea where it goes. And in this era of like everything has been done, that's a, that's you can't take that for granted. And yeah, this movie kind of does that too, right? Yeah, and I will say that, especially in our current era of people getting very mad at movie trailers because they give away too much. People feel like, okay, I I watched like a 90-second trailer of this movie, and I feel like I've already seen the whole damn movie. This movie did an excellent job of making a trailer that shows scenes from the movie but does not give away anything about the movie because this is one that you really need to go into 
as blind as humanly possible. So we're going to try to avoid too many spoilers because this isn't in theaters anymore, but it just dropped on HBO Max yesterday. Yes. So I imagine there's a lot of people who, again, were just waiting for it to like drop on HBO Max because they didn't want to see it in the theater or whatever. It was a surprise hit. Um, uh, kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think it's going to have a bit of a cult following. Another movie I'm going to mention here that I have a, like a weird love-hate relationship with is uh, James Wan's Malignant, a movie that also you think... You, you think you have, like, pegged, but you really kind of don't. It also has a lot of James Wan-inspired camera work. Now James Wan, the guy who made uh, The Conjuring, and he, I mean, he's he made Saw. Like, that was his. He's, a, a, yeah, like, Saw was the thing that, like, launched his career. Amazing, amazing, seminal fucking horror movie. Uh, forget all the franchise and the fucking spiral and all that crap that came later. We're just talking about the first one. Uh, but he is like a master of – he does tension really well. And in The Conjuring and also in Malignant, he has these scenes where like uh, someone is like looking around a dark room or a dark house. And he uses these over-the-camera wide-angle shots of like – slowly panning across a dark room as the character looks so that you're like their field of vision is the camera's field of vision. This movie did that exact same thing. And I was like, Oh cool. You know what else he made? He made Aquaman. And there's a couple of scenes in Aquaman that look exactly like a couple of scenes in Malignant. It's very interesting. But yeah, like that's also a movie where like by the end you're like, oh my God, this is going to be a cult classic. And I can, and I, like I said, I have a weird love-hate relationship with it because it's, it's weird. I don't know. Like I feel like it's not as intentional as some people think. Like I think that it maybe is a little cringe. <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't know. But like it's fun and it's again it's sort of unex. You have no idea what's going to happen. I mean maybe you can guess it, you know. But but still, yeah. Like that 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 plunge into the unknown, especially in horror, is not something you get a ton of now. And, and I get what you're saying in that this is a very atmospherically shot movie, which is what you kind of want in horror, especially when. You're kind of trying to create an atmosphere of like, there's impending doom, but we do not want to show the doom until the doom is like literally right here in front of you. And then you get the jump cut and it's like, oh my God. But yeah, this is a movie. And again, I, I want to try to do this as spoiler free as possible. But this is one where it's like you, you, you think you know where it's going because of the whole setup for the movie. And this isn't a spoiler because this is literally in the trailer. So the whole setup for the movie is we have this woman. She's coming in from out of town. Um, she's Airbnb. Yeah, forget she's that. For forget, 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 yeah, forget it. Airbnb lady shows yeah. up at an Airbnb at night and somebody is already there. Someone is already in the Airbnb. Yeah, a man. They both rented it from different websites. And he says, you know, just stay here for the night. We'll figure it out tomorrow shenanigans <laughs> yeah it's like spooky it's, things happen that's and, it but um, yeah, um all praise to bill skarsgård for playing his very very creepy role because it's like obviously i mean it, it it starts off with this like very modern situation where woman shows up middle of the night it's pouring down rain she's trying to like you know you put in the code to get the key for the airbnb she puts it in the key's not there. She's yeah. like, oh my God. What's and old Billy Skarsgård, who you might know from playing Pennywise in the new It. He's the guy who plays the fucking clown. He, I believe he also is the guy who plays the Joker. Oh, no, that's not him. I'm sorry. That's not him. The guy, the Joker in uh, The Batman. You know, there's that scene where there's the Joker. That's not him. Um, but he is Pennywise in the new It movies. Because he really is a freaky-faced man. He's, he's well, a really he looks like spooky. a star guard. I mean. Yeah, he is a very spooky man. He looks like Bill, spooky Bill Hader, <laughs> who is also I mean, in the Ed movies. <laughs> all, all the Scars Guard men are, like, weirdly hot. 
but in like a very creepy kind of way. <laughs> I mean, really, they all have that saying. No, very, he's like, not. No, he's a different. No, he's a different guy. Because there's two. There's two families. Wait, no, is he a is he a Sarsgard or is he a Scarsgard? Because there's <laughs> there's two families. The Swedish ethnic families. Yeah. Well, so there's Stellan Skarsgård and his son Alexander Skarsgård. Right? Mm -hmm. Is he Alexander Skarsgård's brother? I'm not. Because then there's also exactly alike. No, because Peter Skarsgård is the guy who is in the Batman. He plays the DA, who uh, the Riddler like. He's the guy with the bomb in the church that has the phone on his arm. That's Peter Sarsgaard, right? But there's so is Bill Skarsgaard. Apologies to fucking both Sarsgaards and Scar. Yeah, he has to be. He looks exactly like him. Like I mean, he's not as hot as him, but like, yeah, yeah he's definitely. Yeah, the hot Yeah. What about there's another one, Goose? There's a Gustav Skarsgård. Is he also yeah, part of the Skarsgård family? I believe so because I know him from Vikings. Because he played Loki on Vikings. You're right. He is on Vikings. See, I don't know. I haven't watched. Oh, he's going to be in Oppenheimer, the new uh, Christopher Nolan movie. But yeah, he is. Oh, and there's another one. And there's another one. There's a woman. How there's many... like a baby one too, who is also hot. They're like the Swedish. Arquettes. Yes. <laughs> <There it> is. <laughs> Look, okay, there's Walter Skarsgård. There's A Asia Skarsgård. There's Sam Skarsgård. How what the fuck, man? I forget which one there there was a young one who was in Hemlock Grove. That looks like it might be Walter Skarsgård. Let me see. Was he in Hemlock Grove? No, I think he was he's only in like he's only in like Swedish things. What about this guy? Was he in Hemlock Grove? No, I don't think so. I don't know. How many fucking... Okay, anyway, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Skarsgård, yeah. Bill Skarsgård <laughs> is good in this, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, and things happen that you, you that you really won't expect. And like I said, that to me is like a really important thing in a genre that is as like well trodden as horror you know we've seen everything that a million times already uh you really you really like a thing that that's just like uh where where is this i have no idea where this is going right and there's no one element in the movie that is like something that you've never seen in a horror movie before but the way that it is put together is unique, and I think that is something that is interesting in the horror genre right now. Because, like I, I've pointed out, that like there's, it, it would be very hard to be completely unique in the genre right now. Like everything has been done. I, I can't even imagine where you would go with like a plot line or a plot device that would be something that's like one thousand percent fresh, new, something that's never been seen in the genre before. Like everything in this you've seen before just not like this and I, I i'm trying to I, I i guess it's been discussed enough to where it's not a spoiler I don't then know. don't then but don't err on the side of caution type it in the thing here type it in our chat and then and while i talk and then i'll tell you if it's spoilery enough or not like our chat, um, the chat up hold on you should what why don't you have it on your computer well, I don't this have is, it up right you're now. seeing that. So yeah, anyway, I'll say in the meantime, the thing about horror now to me, a lot of it is about execution, right? Because like mm -hmm. uh, Haunted House is essentially like an endless, you can, you can mind that forever. Because what is like, you know, like it, in the same way that something as abstract as alien invasion can be done a, a bazillion times to an, in an infinite level of quality, you can have an amazing alien invasion movie, and you can have a terrible alien invasion movie. Um, uh, it's it's all about like how, what you do to where your scares live, like what is scary about it, what about it do you explore? Again, uh, uh, um, Mike Flanagan, uh, uh, Haunting of Hill House. You know, like the other one, the Haunting of Bly Manor, also does another haunted house in a very, very different way. A lot of people didn't like it at all. I didn't like it as much, but I thought that by the end, 
he did something very unique and I like that it was very different. But Hill House, in its execution, forget for a second like what the story is. It's a haunted story about a haunted house. It's a story about a bunch of adults who as kids grew up in a house that was haunted and their their parents went crazy, you know, like whatever. Their mom went crazy. That's been done a bazillion times, right? But it uh, both like the, the character work and the uh, technical execution of everything is so like top notch that you there is no there is no point in that story where you're thinking to yourself like oh god another one of these things you really don't like at no point is it that even though again if I describe to you an abstract oh to show about a haunted you know about a house with ghosts. You'd be like, I've seen that a million times before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's all about it's all about the you know take a thing like that and just make it like just make it artistically good you know good. And I think that this movie does I, I think it's artistically good is like the first part of the movie is obviously super linear like you're starting from the beginning and you're moving forward into a certain point in the movie, but then at Going from that point forward. Yes. No, don't don't say Maria. Jumping yes. around yes. with space I'm getting I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to put the pump the brakes on Jen. Jen is a spo- Jen is a spoiler. Jen no, has I mean, less, that's, I, that's Jen has less of a basic sense. explanation. No, see, I think because I think it's because I come from more geeky circles than you. I I've developed a way more uh, cautious approach to spoilers because the circles I exist in are way more like spoiler averse. And so there are things that you say where you're like, oh, this isn't a spoiler. And I'm like, no, you're wrong because I've and I learned this the hard way. Like when I was like a big uh, like back when I used to watch a lot of new anime, I learned the hard way, like how. And, and it was explained to me, like, in ways where I afterwards, I thought back on it, and I was like, oh, this actually makes sense. Where someone was like, here's why what you said ruined it for me. Even, like, here's my thought process seeing your tweet. And I was like, oh, fuck. He's, like, I didn't even think that I gave away something by saying that, but I did. Anyway, never mind. It's fine. We but, I mean, I mean, if you want to go all the way down that rabbit hole, then you can never discuss anything that everybody hasn't seen because I'll you're going that, to yes. this. I'll say, that, I'll say this. Uh, if you've watched the trailer for this, and it's okay to watch it. It doesn't. Oh, yeah. It's, it, yeah, that's why I made the point of pointing that out. It's like, it's perfectly fine to watch the trailer. For yeah, the trailer. Yeah, the, and so the trailer is from the part of the movie where you're you're feeling like okay i gotta i think i know where this is going yeah and none of the trailer covers any of the parts where you're like i have no idea where this is going that's a good i think that's a good that's a good sell right where you're like watch yeah if you yeah if you watch the movie you'll be seeing all of the parts from the trailer where you're like okay this seems kind of standard and then you're like okay this what There's still, yeah, there's still half, yeah, there's still half the movie. Like I thought, cause, cause, cause you know what? Think about it like this. I'm going to be very vague. I'm, I'm speaking just to Jen, but I'm being very vague. If the movie just ended there, if it was like an episode of like Tales from the Crypt or something mm-hmm. like that. And just, you know, in the, the cut to black moment, just ended and the episode ended there, like a 45-minute episode. It would have just worked as its own little thing with, like, you know, with one of those, like, typical horror movie cut to black moments, you know, so yeah. like that. And it would have – but then – but there's, like, half the – there's, like, an hour left after like you that. Look at, like, you look at your watch and you're like – Okay. Okay, what? Yes. And that when I I'll go back to mentioning the empty man that I did in the beginning. When you when you when that happens in the empty man, there's still two hours left in the movie. <laughs> Not one hour. It happens like half an hour in, and then you're like, wait, there's two more hours? What the fuck? And then not only that, but in, in both of these cases, uh the the switch is very abrupt and you're like, okay, what's going <laughs> What's going on now? And I love that. There's a science fiction author that I really like called uh, Alastair Reynolds. And uh, he has a book called uh, – it's called uh, 
terminal brain. Is that what it's called? Is it called terminal brain? Uh, Alistair Reynolds. Uh, oh, no, it's not terminal world. Oh, Century Rain. That's what it's called. Century Rain by Alistair Reynolds, right? And Century Rain by Alistair Reynolds starts like with a, uh, it's like a, you know, some super force in the future spaceship battle. When in an episode two, someone, a, a private eye in France in the 1940s. All of a sudden it's like the, the POV shifts to like 1940 yeah. France to some like private detective who's like, ah, this dame has some gams. And you're like, wait, what the fuck? What is, is this the same book? Yeah. And then by some amazing roundabout route, these things connect. Yeah. Uh, 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 Peter F. Hamilton does that in a couple of his books too, where it just, it's just like, what, what even is this? And yeah, this, these also kind of do that too. And so that's also something that I personally really enjoy when like it cut, uh, uh, Mulholland Drive, the David Lynch movie Mulholland Drive also does that, but it, it's less clear on how the stories connect than, <laughs> than yeah. this. Um, but yeah, I think we can, uh, I think we can talk some Although, hot D. What, what were you going to say? There is a good solid 20 minutes of Barbarian where you're literally just sitting there like, what the fuck? What? I, a, a, who and what and why and yeah, what? Yeah, and the, yeah. And I, I hate that we have to be so vague about it, but the juxtaposition between the two scenes is so fucking jarring that it's just like you're literally sitting there like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? And what and and you know on? what? And to me, uh, honestly, to me, there's there's something beautiful about that because horror. I, this is so cliche. I hate talking about this because it's so like, it's a thing that like fucking pompous film people like to have, have said forever, but there is something, there are different kinds of horror and being thrown tonally off balance like that. Mm -hmm. it, there is <laughs> something, there is something quote unquote hor horrifying about yeah. that. It's a little hard to explain, but you know, I was saying, I was talking about that movie, The Humans, mm -hmm. right? That is, that I would call a horror, it's horror adjacent. Mm -hmm. It's a movie, it's a horror movie where the monster is life sucking. Yeah, the banality of evil of life. You kind of, like of, of shit going down in your life where you're like, you know, if you've ever... You've had this moments in your life where you're like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do, right? I I had, okay, I got, when I was living in New York years ago, I had absolutely no money. Uh, I didn't really have any friends and like my, nobody of my family who lived there was any in any position to help me. And I got bed bugs and I had to deal with the whole thing by myself and I couldn't afford to move and I couldn't really afford to take care of it. And I had this moment where I like sat on my, the floor of my apartment and I had this total like emotional collapse. And um, uh, to think about that, distill that sense of like, what the fuck am I going to do? And yeah, the, the humans isn't that explicit about this. It's not people who are like yelling to the heavens, like, Whoa! it's about a Thanksgiving. It's about a family getting together for a Thanksgiving dinner, but there's shit going on in all of their lives. And the movie is really weirdly built to like make that horror, turn that idea, that concept into a kind of monster. And it was fascinating, but I'll say this again, it's based on a play. It's like the guy who wrote the play at one of Tony, I think he, mm -hmm. uh, he directed this movie and it's very weird. And when you, when I learned that it was a play, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like now I get yeah. it. Uh, but nothing, ha literally nothing happens. So if you're, if you want to watch this, be aware, it's just a bunch of people in a, in a room talking, right? I, but it's, I, I but if, yeah. I think movies like that are kind of fascinating where you're just kind of like airdropped into a situation and it's, there's no real beginning or end per se. Like there's no... But yeah, if you like theater, yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot of theater is that, right? There's another, there's a really good science fiction movie, very underrated. It's called The Man from Earth, okay? 
it's also it was originally meant to be a play. It, to me, it's something that would be amazing to stage as a play. Even though it's a movie, it would be very easy to stage as a play because once again, it is quite literally like a, it's eight people in a room talking for the entire time. And what it is is the premise is this: it's about a, a bunch of professors at a sort of small time college, and one of them is about to leave, so they're throwing him a goodbye party. And in the goodbye party, he reveals to them that he's an immortal man that's been alive forever. And they don't believe him, obviously. But it's a talk, you know, it's all a talk about that, where in, yeah. in which he sort of tries to convince him that he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's if you like sci- heady science fiction, that's not, you know, that isn't where nothing visual happens at all. It's just a talk, you know. It's again, it would work it's well as a story. You could read it as a story. And like I said, a stage play where a bunch of people can walk around the room and emote and have like emotional soliloquies about like, I'm a man of science because they're all professors. And so one of them is like a paleontologist and one of them is a biologist and one of them is a history, you know, an anthropologist. And so they all have like perspectives on this argument of like, what if I was immortal? How would you disprove that I was or wasn't or whatever? It's a whole philosophical thing. A really nice you know, like micro budget movie that I really think is 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 quite nice, and this is like that. But I would call this horror adjacent. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and there. Is By there the way, hold on. I, let me just. I'm sorry. I just. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to thank JD for like dropping all of the links for this in the show chat. Thank you. Thank you very much, JD. I know you. Uh, you're always very good with that stuff. It's very informative. So you can, all of the links that we say, I'm gonna, just going to say to Jeff, I'm just going to throw out like random like names of Israel. Oh, this Israeli movie from 1952. And you're like, I can't, I can't find this. I can't find this. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Yes, Jen. And, and there was kind of like a whole discussion I wanted to have. I mean, and we can probably table it for another time about, watching media now and this is going back to barbarian and kind of watching it through like a right now sort of lens because there is a plot line in the movie that you could view as sort of a me too sort of thing but then i and that's kind of how i originally took it but then after sitting with it for a minute i kind of like took a step back and was like okay this plot line would have played just as well 20 years ago Absolutely. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's a karmic justice sort of thing. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're at, you're absolutely right. But again, that's it. That's it. We're moving on. <laughs> We're moving on. We're moving on to house of the dragon, the finale of house of the dragon. So season one is, is in the books and by all accounts, it like, you know, it does justice to like, the very best of, of Game of Thrones. Like by all accounts, everybody, I don't see anybody walking around going like, nobody, nobody, you know, you, this is not that great. And people are just like caught up in the hype. And I do wonder if it's partly because of how disappointed everybody was with, uh, with the ending of Game of Thrones. But I also, I don't know. I mean, I thought, like I said, I've been saying this all season long. I think that like pound for pound, it really like put a lot of effort into like every scene, all of the visuals mattered, all of the dialogue mattered. There was very little like just like filler or things that didn't really make sense or character decisions that were dumb, but like dumb in a writing way, not dumb in a, you know, people do dumb shit way because that was a running theme, right? A running theme of this was like dumb character decisions that were in character for the people who made them. Like, for instance, Viserys marrying Alicent and not Lena Valerian, which would have prevented all of this bullshit. And, I mean, we could also make the argument that if we would have just let Damien and Rhaenyra get married, we could have prevented all this bullshit. But those things didn't happen, and so here we are. And so... I mean, the only criticism, if I could drum up one of the season, was basically the season served to get us to the season finale, which is where things really pop off. And in not normal Game of Thrones fashion, normally this is always the penultimate episode. It's the one before the season finale, and then the season finale is just kind of 
doing cleanup for that episode. Subverted expectations. I like that. Yes. We were all expecting. I'm Mr. Penult. I actually happen to think the anti-penultimate episode was the best one. I thought episode eight was the best episode of the season. That's the one with King Viserys with the gold mask walking to the throne. Well, what's very fascinating is watching kind of like the, the after show for the season finale. Um, they pointed out, and, it, and this is very true, where like the next to last episode and the last episode were basically the same story, just told from two different perspectives. Mm-hmm. The first one you had from Allison's perspective. The second one you have from Rhaenyra's perspective. Things get very bad for Rhaenyra. <laughs> Much more so than they do for Alicent. Yeah. Here, you know, a criticism that I hear a lot. Very interesting. To me, this is an excellent, excellent case study in uh, 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 straying from the source material in a way that actually makes perfect sense. And here's why. Fire and Blood, the book that this is based on, is not a narrative book in the same way that Game of Thrones, the Game of Thrones series is. It's told like histories based on different sources. And often a lot of the events of it are told different ways, two, three different ways. Some of the sources are personally invested. And I literally think about it as if you read like ancient histories, if you read Herodotus or if you read like, uh, like uh, where's J.D.? Now I need JD. Xenophon. If you read shit like that, um, the 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 you, you know that the reality is way more complicated and nuanced and subtle than what an ancient history type text would say. If you read like Herodotus about like the history of the Achaemenids, it's always like this guy was a wizard and he usurped, his, murdered his brother and, and, and assumed his identity. And then uh, these guys made a blood pact to go murder him or whatever. And in reality, like the truth was probably way more nuanced. And so a lot, many events in the show are less deliberate than the way they're described in the books. Uh, uh, for example, uh, Lord Beesbury getting his head smashed by uh, Kristen Cole in the books was a thing that was ordered. And it's di- the, the accounts differ. One said that his throat was slit. The other was that he was thrown out a window. The point is he was dead and Kristen Cole did it. But to me, the beauty of it that in reality, it's just like, no, he just slammed him down on the table and he happened to have died. And then the histories remembered it as him having been murdered. For example, here's another great example. Rhaenys busting out with her dragon uh, is something that a lot of people criticized because how could she have killed all these people? I think one, it was also part of this like running theme where they don't fully control the dragons. They can't really totally tell them exactly what to do. Uh, But also in the books, they just say that uh, Aegon was crowned and then he flew his dragon around King's Landing in celebration. Why wouldn't like a propaganda history sell the idea that there was a dragon scene flying out of the dragon pit at the coronation being the king taking a ride on his dragon? Just so the histories remembered it as a triumphant thing as not as something like that. And so that's one of these things where like any deviation from the history to me feels actually kind of, it sounds more authentic than if they had done. Yes, because like in the Green Council, I believe like Alicent in the book says something like, I hope that whore dies in childbirth, where in reality they're they're actually kind of friends. Like the reality, but again, the history would remember something way more malicious, especially as it uh, concerns women in a, uh, a, a feudal society. Mm-hmm. Again, go back to Herodotus and the idea of like the harem and the the uh, the all of the scheming of the women in the harem that often leads to like the poisoning of the the sultan or the whatever. All of that, the that the idea of like the temptress and the the you know the evil woman i like i love that again i thought that every time someone said like oh in the book 
this is way less nuanced. I was like, good, that's how it's supposed to be because that's a weird history book written by people with agenda and it would be very, uh, it would make perfect sense for the, the real events to have played out in a much more complicated way. And especially with the season finale, it's definitely not like a dry retelling of Renice goes to Dragonstone and tells Rhaenyra that her father has passed away. No, it, it's very, it, this is a very heavy episode. It's a very emotionally difficult episode because after Rhaenyra, you know, busts into the hallway with her dragon and then she flies away, she goes to Dragonstone to tell Rhaenyra what happened, obviously. And so she goes there, she goes in there, she tells Rhaenyra, obviously, that her father is dead. And that Aegon has been crowned king in front of people and with a septon and all that stuff. And she is pregnant and immediately starts to miscarry, which leads to a whole extended miscarriage scene that is extremely difficult to watch. Yeah, and is like a juxtaposition of her mother's death and childbirth because... She actually like she holds everybody back, and she's like, yeah. "I'm gonna fucking do this. Stay the fuck back. I got this." And it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty awful. Um, hold on, I wanna. Can we take uh, can we take Joe the caller, Joe? Because we have a caller. I like taking a caller when we have a caller. Hold on. And I I always remember I always like. Give it a little bit of intro because he's going to be like, oh, oh, shit, hold on, let me let me get already. Okay, so here we go. Joe, you're on the air. Hey, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I sort of wanted to give my two cents. Um, I think overall, yeah, they've done, like, a really good job sort of, like, adding, like, character moments where it wasn't necessarily as much in the book. I think it's – I think the way – it's not necessarily, like – this, I think some of the changes from the book aren't necessarily like, oh, this is more realistic. It's like there are some deliberate changes where it's like, like they changed Allison's and Rhaenyra's relative ages. Like, right. That's not sort of something they'd lie about. I think they just want to make some narrative changes there. Um, but I, I, I wasn't as big a fan of some of the, like the, the dragon pit scene, just because, like, I think it is a point where, like, okay, I don't, I don't understand the character motivations here of, like, why would you, like, I don't know. It seems like having your dragon roar in the face of the newly crowned king is probably already going to start a war. Or, like, <laughs> um, and then I think the Aemon scene as well at the end, it felt like, for me, that's a point where the, the motivations of the characters, like, don't really internally make sense, where he goes from, like, one minute being, like, I'm going to cut this kid's eye out unless I'm physically restrained to, oh, well, I was just, just doing a little prank. Didn't mean to actually kill him. Well, that's the thing. Was he really that? Cause, cause that, that actually makes me question whether his bluster was even, whether or not he was just bluffing. Like he was just trying to scare him by doing that. And whether he would have even had the balls to actually like go through with it, you know? Which is an interesting, an interesting idea because we don't know. We have we really seen Eamon do anything, anything like truly psychopathic? Not really, I think. And even in that, he's moment, a little bit. Of a, he might be a little bit of a poser, you know. I mean, I, I, I think he was one hundred percent. And if he had the chance to like take Luke's eye out, he would have did it. Yeah, I but think. pretty clear in the moment in where. He loses control of his dragon, and his dragon kills Luke and Luke's dragon. That he's like, oh shit, oh shit. Look, okay. I like that. I Again, one of the things I remember, one of the things I remember, I had a moment of like, I love this while reading a Song of Ice and Fire, where it became uh, uh, it became clear very quickly that Daenerys didn't really control the dragons, that they were big, scary animals. You know, there's a, at some point it gets to the point where, you know, like they bring her the, the corpse of the burned child 
and she, and she's like, I gotta I gotta chain them up underground. And I was like, I love this because in a cliche high fantasy novel, they would have just been her dragons and they would have done her bidding. And it's just like, no, it's this big fucking dumb animal that yeah. you yeah you have some kind of connection with, but it's not exactly. You know, it's like those people who raise big cats, you know, who like you see them hugging like a gigantic Siberian tiger and you're like, yeah, okay, fine. But you you know there's a chance he'll just eat you like Siegfried and Roy right, <laughs> one day. Um, and so I do enjoy that aspect of that here. I don't think it takes away from his agency because he still fucking did it. Like he still, again, it's the idea that they're, it's these crazy weapons, you know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, an example of, like, you know, somebody bringing his dad's gun to school just to, like, wave in some kid's face and scare him and, like, ends up sh shooting him by accident. That doesn't take away the kid's agency for having, like, put himself in that position, right? No, but I also don't think it's what he meant to have happen. Like, obviously, like, things just got out of control. And, I mean, and and, and the larger point here is that nobody is ever going to believe him if he says it was an accident. Literally nobody's going to believe you. That's very true. That's, 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 that, that's a very interesting point. There is a lot of that here. And I do kind of like it. Again, I'm going to appeal to JD's uh, sense of history here. And I, um, I know everybody knows about like, uh, like uh, hardcore histories, like World War I series, but... I went and I read, or I listened to the audiobook of Barbara Tuckman's The Guns of August, a famous World War I novel that drills down really deeply on just the first month, only August, right? And the amount of, like, miscommunications, weird coincidences, incompetence, like momentary lapses and in, in shit that 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 led to like a lot of the war are shocking and and therefore anything like this where it's like how really the war started because she misunderstood the thing and they did the thing and he did the thing and i was like that, yeah that kind of is like what reality was like especially in this instance it is actually a shocking a shocking book I highly recommend it, but it's just because you would be, you'll be amazed at like, how, yeah, like at, at how, how easily the war could have been prevented in, in just that first month. I do think it works really well, sort of as like a parallel to what happened with Robert's Rebellion, where there's sort of there's a lot of like underlying reasons why war might be coming. Like with Robert's rebellion, there's like, you know, all the stuff Arius had been doing, mm -hmm. but then what sort of really ignited it was Rhaegar quote unquote kidnapping Lyanna, which wasn't actually a kidnapping. And then here it's sort of like, Oh, well the high towers had been wanting to take the throne. And then like Aemon losing control of his dragon and sort of like, an accident sort of what kicked it off. I do think it works pretty well as a parallel there. Oh, there you go. And yeah, and I uh, I like that a lot. And like I said, the, the idea that this uh, story gives kind of more of like a, this is how it actually happened to the companion text of like, here's how these events are remembered in this world. Extremely cool. Extremely cool. Because the way the things happen in the book are the way the things in that world remember them. The people in that world remember them. It's just, it's in the same way, like if you watch a movie like Troy, right? Because it's a retelling of the Trojan War that actually has no supernatural stuff in it. It's actually a telling of it that's, that's like, what if, what if it did happen? And, and it was just because there was a war between Greece and Troy. Uh, and yeah, like things, some things in it are different, and the characters speak with more like, uh, uh, more like a, a passion that you that a modern person would understand and stuff, but it's like yeah, and so but 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 in our world we know we remember the Trojan War because of the way it's related in like the Aeneid or whatever it's, is it the Aeneid is it the Iliad the Iliad the Iliad not the Aeneid yeah sorry the Iliad <laughs> we remember like the, <laughs> I almost the... I almost embarrassed myself there. <laughs> We remember, like, basically the gossip version of history. We remember the anecdotal version of history. We remember, like, 
the accepted truth that everybody likes because it like it sounds better than the reality of what actually happened. And so I, I, that that also might be the juxtaposition between the book and the show is that like the book is like, okay, this is what was accepted history, you know, 200 years after the fact versus what actually took place. And what actually took place is always more nuanced and messy and complicated than the narratives that we kind of form around things to tell stories easily or in a way that is more flattering to our particular preferred narrative or our particular preferred side. And that's just kind of how history gets made. Or even if you, if you go back against someone like a Xenophon or a Herodotus, people back then like also believed, you know, like, actually believed in like the supernatural sometimes and so a lot of their like uh carlin who uh jd mentions here he studied like military history in college and he tells the story of how he submitted some paper and his professor said did you consider magic the of the you know like the the effects that magic had on this war and he was like wait but magic isn't real and his professor said yeah but they thought it was and so they like read the entrails to know when to go to war and shit and so yeah in a sense magic was real that's why the northman you know the movie the northman mm-hmm. uh in it to me it's a beautiful example of a movie where the supernatural things in it are only as real as the people back then believed that they were real. I think that it's shown that everything supernatural in that movie actually kind of isn't, but that because the people of that era believed them to be real, mm-hmm. then it kind of, I, if you watch the movie, you'll, you'll understand what I mean. There's a couple of things where like, there's a sword that can't be unsheathed except at night and he tries to like unsheath it during the day and it's clear that it's just stuck in its scabbard and he can't get it out. Because then he later does unsheath it during the day when he really needs it, when he's got to go five, do something where he's about to die. And so it's clearly like, again, in his mind, he was like, I couldn't, whatever, anyway. Yeah, it's not a coincidence. It's the gods decided that I could unsheath this sword during the day. Yeah, it's all, yeah, there's, I mean, whatever. But the, the idea, yeah, the idea is like you from a 30,000 foot view and from, you know, a thousand thousands of years in the, or hundreds of years in the future, you know, know that it isn't supernatural, but in the movie, it's like shown through his eyes. And so to, it looks supernatural and you're seeing it in the movie, even though you kind of intellectually know that it isn't. And that's the same thing when, again, if you read a history of Herodotus who says like, yes, the kings of, uh, the kings of the early kings of Persia ruled for 10,000 years it's not that he doesn't. He might very well believe this or at least have no other uh, uh, choice but then to believe like everybody he speaks to in the Persian Empire who does believe this to be true. Like what is he supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. We have gotten way far off topic. So what? Anyway, I love it. I love it. Uh, here, I'm going to, I'm going to, here we go. Um, thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. Here, I'm going to remove you from the queue. I don't know why. I just did, just for my. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know if we're going to talk about the Try Guys or we're going to talk about, I don't know if there's I, a one. I want to save that for later because I feel like there's a larger conversation to be had about, and, and we touched on this on the last episode about parasocial relationships and yeah that episode in particular is a perfect example of parasocial relationships and the expectations that people place on you when they think that they know you from this image that you've put forth and then when you puncture the image you everything goes to shit and especially when you're at that level you're talking about your income streams, other people's income streams, like it gets very, very out of control very quickly. Yeah, 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 we'll talk about it. Will you talk uh, briefly about how uh, uh, Matthew Perry is a piece of shit? Did you see the story? Kanye getting booted out of the Skechers uh, offices? Because Adidas was like, we don't want to work with Kanye West. So he was like, I'm I'm gonna dead ass walk into the Skechers offices and be like, let's do a shoe. 
Even though Skechers, by the way, was founded and is owned by Jews. <laughs> he, really, he really thought right now he could walk into literally any company and I don't like, get it. I don't get it. sign a contract. Hush puppies, this is yay. <laughs> Keds, what's up? <laughs> L.A. gear, let's do a sh- <laughs> fucking Keds. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, Matthew Perry, for some fucking reason, I think he has a book coming out or something like that. And I don't exactly know what the hell he was talking about, but he was like, he was lamenting, he was saying stuff like, you know, it was like essentially lamenting the fact that, you know, like all of these big, like acting great geniuses are dead, like, uh, like River Phoenix and uh, Chris Farley and stuff. But then for some... Heath Ledger. But then for some fucking reason, he's like, why are they dead and Keanu Reeves is still alive? Um, like, first drugs, of all, yeah first of all, dr- yeah, first of all, drugs, motherfucker. But second of all, like, Keanu Reeves like, yeah. suffered years and years of ridicule for being unable to act, for being a shit actor who didn't deserve his career who was stoic and didn't know how to emote and he fucking worked his ass off for decades and like became beloved that's who you're picking Keanu Reeves he's like one of the biggest like uh uh like uh kind of z- almost like zero to hero stories fucking ever it's such a bizarre so bizarre oh yeah JD's mentioning again that Par Parzival's parasocial relationship with Artemis in Ready Player One. That is true. Parzival, the protagonist of Ready Player One, is in, madly in love with this like famous blog content creator and blogger named Artemis. And then, yeah, they fucking, they, spoiler alert, hook up in real life. But it is kind of yeah. weird because he's already very smitten with her. And let me just say, hmm, I'm going to be very vague about this because this is something mm. I know. I'll, I'll let you take this one. <laughs> I'm just gonna step back. You, I'm just you. Gonna, yes. I'm just gonna say again, being very vague and not talking about anybody in particular for real. For I'm not joking. <laughs> um, uh, having someone know a lot about you and already like get to the point where they like like you without you knowing them at all is something that you have to navigate you know what i mean like it is a it is a thing it's a it's a it's a dis think about that think about you know like meeting someone and you're you've never seen them before and they already have a fairly like established set of opinions about you having like heard you on a podcast or seen you on Twitch or read your tweets, and that's a that's a uh, a disparity, that's a uh, like a, an inequality, an imbalance that can lead to some problems, either immediately or somewhere down the line. Again, not referring to anybody in particular, for real. This is actually the thing I'm thinking about is something like ancient. Anyway, never mind. Um, no one can see my face right now. <laughs> Jen is being very stoic. No, again, I'm just saying, again, this is this is something that I, me, little old me, has experienced, okay? And so, like, people who are, like, gigantic and, uh, uh, you know, world famous, have millions of followers, because this is all, this was all brought, brought about by the Try Guys, right? Which is, a, like, a big thing. But also, again, the... The but stories of con- right, but anyway. yeah, but the stories of like content creators who have had who have had like uh, who have had uh, relationships or uh, bad relationships, like bad experiences with like their fans, because there's something alluring. This I'm not really saying from personal experience, but I'm sure like there is something alluring with like having I don't know like if you're a content creator again who's not six feet tall and has abs, but all of a sudden, lots of like beautiful women who are into the same shit as you, like you already, like you didn't have to go and fucking spend a bunch of uh, effort to get some, 
hot girl to notice you. All of a sudden there's hot girls in your DMs because you have a million followers on YouTube or I don't know what. Every fucking gamer is like that. The problem is way too many of them, like, for some reason gravitate towards their, like, underage fans. Instead of being like, uh, yeah, I think we're going to stick to someone who's 25 instead of 15, you know. Go read all of the controversies related to, like, Minecraft YouTubers uh yeah the, my, minecraft happens to be a, a community that has a lot of it's really that not in hard it. to just not fuck with underage people it's I, like, for, I mean for <laughs> i mean for and not just and you would think you would think like and so someone would say like well how do you know it's the internet but no like the vast majority of these stories are people who were like, were open about their age. It's always, there's always, it's like a Chris Hansen, right? There's always the text where the girl is like, is this okay? We're 16. And the content creator is like, no, it's fine. Send me your yeah, tits. That's cool. Yes, yeah. tits, exactly. tits now. My dick's already in my hand. I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, it really is. Like, it's amazing. Because there, there, there is almost never. I'm trying to think of an instance. Because there's a couple of like uh, YouTubers that I uh, that I like who cover YouTuber drama. Turkey yeah. Tom is an example. Jay Aubrey. There's a couple of those, and a lot of the things they cover is like here's the story of how this YouTuber got busted for whatever. And it's never them saying like there was no way for me to know she was underage. It's never that. They always knew. It's just a, it's incredible. Yeah, there's always like a DM trail. Like it's yeah, always oh, yeah. screenshots. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like what and, is and this Discord? A lot of people saying lots of shit on Discord because they think like, well, it's Discord. It's not like Twitter where you can go search my old. But like people are sc- screen caps galore. Which, yeah, everybody's screen capping eh, all the time. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's the. The, oh, hold on. I want to bring JD on uh, just quickly before we uh, – because we're okay. inching, inching towards the finish. But, yeah, always, always, always good to have JD on. Hey, JD, how's it going? How's it going, guys? All right. Yeah. How are you? Doing well. So I've been thinking about this whole – I'm glad that you guys brought up the parasocial relationships because my wife and I have been reading Ready Player One together. I'm rereading it. She's never read it before. And then we're rewatching the movie together. And I was thinking about this in connection with um, Facebook's metaverse that, you know, like three people are on. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, if you think about it, you can do the same kind of parasocial relationship where it's like, okay, I'm going to talk to someone on social media and we've never met before, but neon oh my gosh you're just a super famous youtuber twitch streamer and i love you and i follow you but you can kind of do it where you're like dating each other you can do more intense like cyber dating like parzival and artemis do in the book yeah but it's like okay now i'm going to put a fake body on and even though my name is show and i'm really nine ten years old I can act like I'm in my 20s. Yeah, and have and a big ninja, adult ninja body. And that's yeah. essential, as you know, without spoiling Ready Player One for people. Although, I guess, you know what? I feel I feel like it's it's old enough now old that enough. you can't spoil it. But it is a central element in the in, in that H, uh, Parzival's friend, uh, turns out to be a girl, not... He's, he thinks he's a guy, turns out that he's a lesbian woman, uh, uh, whatever... And uh, but and that Artemis is like self-conscious about her port wine stain on her face. Where in the movie they were like, "We're just gonna make her super beautiful," so it doesn't. They kind of chickened out. I thought they were like, I don't know. I think they should have. I felt like they should have committed to casting really, really plain ass looking people for the like the real actors, and then gone with like more idealized versions of them in the Oasis. But it's. It was, no, oh, you mean like reality? <laughs> I see. I didn't like the reason I didn't like the movie was that I have a I have a love for this book because I read it before all of the hype, before and also before nostalgia, especially eighties nostalgia, became so played out and so like overblown. Because I did read it in like I can't remember like twenty eleven or twenty twelve. Like I read it like a long time ago, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was like really like 
shoddily written kind of I, I remember uh, I remember comparing it like I said like some tables are a Nakashima some tables are like built by like a world famous table designer or whatever and some tables are like some dude whittled it in his garage for like 10 years and made like a table and you can see the love in it and you can see that he's not a world famous table maker but you can feel that like he built this table of true love of like the craft and that's what I felt Ready Player One was. But the problem is the parts of it I liked was all the puzzle solving. And you can't do that in a movie. So what they did was they replaced all the puzzle solving with action sequences, which I mean I get in a movie, in a blockbuster movie. But that like gutted all of my favorite parts from okay. it. That was like – because a because I'm a – I used to do alternate reality gaming ARGs. And this book is basically like – the Alice in Wonderland of alternate reality gaming. It's the thing that you picture in your mind when you play an alternate reality game on the internet, where like that's what you would want. You would want an infinite universe where you could fly to planets and look for clues in obscure ruins and know exactly how what to recite standing in which place and all that shit. You know, JD, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, so a big reason why they had to change that in the movie was copyright issues. Because in the book, all of the different challenges for the keys have to do with old movies and video games, but they couldn't get the copyrights to them for the movie. And so that's why they changed the challenges. I love the movie. I worked at a movie theater when it came out. I saw hmm. it a couple days before it got released to the public. I was absolutely in love with it. But I am still of the opinion that it would have been better as a uh, TV series. If they had done like a limited 10-part series, I think that would have been better to dig in-depth to all of it. But they wouldn't have gotten the budget, so. I think part of my problem is also the, the idea that like, because even if they could have gotten the rights to like war games and whatever... A lot of it is like tedium because because you know like the 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 scene that everybody talks about from this movie is the shining scene right which I the, I don't I don't like at all but but it, what it replaces is in the book is the scene where they have to recite the entire dialogue to war games like every single line of dialogue and like how are you gonna do that in a movie in any kind of way that's compelling even remotely right. No. And so I think they could have picked – I don't think The Shining is a good idea. I think if you were going to go with that, if you were going to go with the idea of like there's going to be like scary action and you're going to need to like – you're going to need to like slot yourself into a scary scene from a movie, then do that. Put them in like Terminator 2 having to run away from the, from the T-1000. Like do something thematic and not have them have like – some kind of giant monster chase them in The Shining, which doesn't actually happen in The Shining. The Shining is more a movie about, like, silent, scary dread. Like, it is a scary movie, but, like, not in a... Not in a bad runaway yeah. kind of sense. So, wait, I, ha I have one more plug for Ready Player One that I want to make about this. So, one of my co-workers is an English teacher, and this semester he's teaching a dystopian literature class. So, you know, they've got, like, Fahrenheit 451, uh, 1984, you know, the basics. Mm -hmm. I am trying to get him to teach Ready Player One as a dystopian novel. Oh, interesting. I because have, you know what, I have a, tr there's a, to me, there's a trilogy, a, a, um, a uh, like, a spiritual trilogy of post-apocalyptic uh, novels that I think are like a mandatory read. One of them is obviously The Stand, Stephen King's The Stand, which is the, the one everybody knows. But there's two others. One is called The Passage by Justin Cronin. It's actually a trilogy, but like, start. It was made into a really, really bad TV show recently, like a really dumb, awful TV show. The book is utterly amazing. And the third one is Swan Song by Robert McCammon. It's very much like The Stand, except instead of a disease, it's like nuclear war, because it's from the 80s when everything yeah. was about nuclear war. <laughs> but it is also amazing. If you like post if you like The Stand, which is, again, most people's like, uh, you know, like yardstick for that kind of thing, those two are really, really good. That's 
that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Tell your friend. Anyway, I think uh, I think on that note, I got to hit the spooky music because we're uh, we're about to like uh, we're about to head on out of here. No one remember the without any kind of. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it for us in October. I mean, that doesn't matter. We're just gonna keep going in, in November. Gonna have it's gonna be turkey clucking in November, <laughs> and like I don't know, pilgrim music. What's the? Is it? Are we gonna start playing Chris? We're gonna start playing Christmas music like Macy's because now it's no, we're past I Halloween. Draw a hard line on that. Jingle, jingle. I mean, I have a thing. We're, we can talk about it, but I like I Halloween is weird for me because I I mean uh, Christmas is weird for me. Even my like American Jewish relatives are like, oh Christmas, and I'm like, I don't. This is. I mean, now I'm getting used to it, but it's still a little like a little bit of a foreign thing. Yeah. Anyway, let's do plugs and go to bed. So our main podcast, Ambitious Crossover Attempt, usually drops on Mondays. Find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon slash Audible, all your podcast catchers. Obviously, all crossed out here on Colin. You know where to find us, but 8.30 Eastern. Obviously, if you catch us live, you can catch us afterwards on the app or on podcast catchers. You can find us on Twitter at AMBXOver. You can find me on Twitter at that Jim Monroe, and I'll substack at jimmonroe.substack.com. Great. I'm Ian Taster on Twitter. And also YouTube.com slash C slash Neon Taster and Twitch.tv slash Neon Taster. And also, yeah, if you're listening to this like on Spotify or whatever, all of the links to what we're discussing are in Colin. Like if you download the Colin app and you go to the show to listen back to the show and you go to the chat uh, tab, uh, uh, JD has been posting links to everything we mentioned, which is uh, super helpful. So thank you again for that, JD. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you next week. Good Oh, I don't need the C, I guess. Oh, did they change the thing? Okay. I'm just PS. YouTube.com slash Neontaster. Is that going to work? Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Oh, shit. It works. It works. YouTube.com slash Neontaster. You made it. Finally, the tongue twister is over. It's hard to say. Slash C slash. It's hard to say. I know I got an email about it, but I didn't. Anyway, never mind. Have a good night, everyone. Good night.